series called Lessons for Living from the Gospel of Luke. Lessons for Living. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. That's where we're going to be today. Luke 8, 22 to 25. We're going to call our lesson today, Conquering Storms. Conquering Storms. Do you guys have any phobias? Any phobias? Any phobias you want to admit? Anyone? Crystal? What's your phobia? Cotton? Cotton? Yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Cotton. You can't touch cotton. Like a cotton t-shirt or the cotton ball? Cotton balls. Interesting. That's a very specific one. Anyone else? Phobia? Snakes? Anything like that? Nobody? Nobody's scared of snakes? Heights? Who said heights? Heights? No heights? I looked on the internet and I got the 10 strangest phobias. You ready for these? Top 10 strangest phobias. I'm going to try to pronounce some of these words. Some of these are a little difficult. And maybe you can even guess what these phobias are. First one, arachibithurophobia. Probably slaughtered that. Arachibithurophobia. Anyone? Guessing you don't have this one because it's the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. Anyone? Anyone terrified at PBJs? Because the thought of peanut butter on the roof of your mouth is just gives you terrors. That's a very strange one. That's, that's a little bit more strange than yours, even. How about this one? <laughs> no offense. Nomo, nomophobia. Nomophobia. The fear of being without your mobile phone. Probably everybody under the age of 30 has that one, at least in America, nomophobia. How about number eight, plutophobia? Anyone? Plutophobia, the fear of money. Is that really a fear? Does anyone in America have that? Let me say this. If you have the fear of money, come talk to us immediately. The church will take your money. What's that? We'll take you of that fear. Yes, you'll, you'll have, no longer have that fear. You'll no longer have any money either. How about this one, number seven, a, a blutophobia, a blutophobia, the fear of bathing. The fear of bathing. I think I went to college with a guy like this. The fear of bathing. Gross. <coughs> Excuse me. Number six, opt optophobia. Optophobia. Anyone want to guess that? Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. I think some of you have that phobia during my lessons. Unfortunately, I'm just teasing. This is my all-time favorite one, and I'm going to try my best, okay? Hippopoto monstros esquipt deliophobia. I'm not making this up. I may be slaughtering the pronunciation. Hippopoto monstros esquipt deliophobia. Ready for this? The fear of long words. Now, is that cruel or what? The fear of long words. It's the longest word in the English dictionary. Eva uh, biphobia. The fear of adolescence. Anyone? All parents have that one, I think. How about this one? Omphalophobia. The fear of belly buttons. I would suggest don't go to Walmart then. Omphalophobia. The fear of belly buttons. How about this one? Pogophobia. Pogo, no phobia. The fear of beards. Anyone terrified looking at me? Anyone? 
right? The fear of beards. You're, you're wearing a beard. Number one, phobophobia. Phobophobia. What is it? The fear of phobias. If you have that, you've been terrified this entire time. Phobophobia. Those are the ten strangest phobias, and there's a point to that. Take your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 8, 22 to 25. We're going to look at something that was a little terrifying. A story from Luke. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's start verse 22 of Luke chapter 8. One day, he got into the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling their water. Excuse me. They were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water? And they obey him. Conquering Storms is the title of our lesson today. We've been having a lot of thunderstorms lately, right? Anyone like thunderstorms? Thunderstorms? Anyone like those? Yeah? Every day this past week, I believe we had a real big lightning storm. And I, I kind of like looking at thunderstorms. But the question, do you enjoy thunderstorms, depends entirely upon one little detail. Where you are during the storm. Isn't that true? If you're tucked away safely inside of your home, thunderstorms can be quite fun. Quite exciting because there's no danger to you. It's just a display of God's power, and it's something po powerful to look at, right? Remember the old song, even though this is snow and not rain, um, we've got no place to go. Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. But if you're driving through a storm, is anyone singing that? Or, or a thunderstorm? Probably not, right? Because if you're in the storm, if you're driving through the storm, it's a much different story. Well, today let's look at our story through looking at the details of the story. Let's just walk our way through it, okay? Because there comes a very big storm. And this storm today is scary, okay? Number one. Detail, important detail of our story today is that Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples. That is an important foundational truth to this lesson today. Jesus gets in the boat with his disciples and he commands them to go and sail to the other side of the lake. All right, that's detail number one and that's an important one. We need to remember that one. We need to use that as our foundation because this one is crucial to everything that takes place in this passage. He gets in the boat with his disciples and he commands them to sail to the other side of the lake. Now, our first principle we find right from this is principle number one. Jesus goes with us and before us in all situations. Aren't you thankful for that? Jesus goes with you and before you in all situations. In Christianity, we actually use the term personal savior, don't we? Personal savior. We speak about having a personal relationship with Jesus. We boast about being able to have intimacy with our Lord Jesus. Intimacy. And that's all true. And that's an amazing truth. Jesus is not a celebrity that we read about or watch about on TV that doesn't know we exist or doesn't care about us because most celebrities, that, that's true about them. But the Lord is my personal Savior. Can anyone say that with me today? The Lord is your personal Savior. Do you have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? If that's true, that means he goes with you and before you into every situation except one, sin. Jesus will not go with you when you sin. 
Now, marriage in this life is called one flesh. You guys ever heard that? Marriage, according to the Bible, is one flesh. That means whatever my wife goes through, I go through. In fact, this past week, we were all sick. We were sick together because whatever comes to one comes to the other. Marriage is one flesh. Well, marriage with Jesus is one spirit. Wherever I go, he goes. Whatever I go through, he goes through. That's an amazing truth about a relationship with the Lord Jesus. In fact, and we'll come back to this, Jesus is inside the boat with the disciples when the storm comes upon them. Okay? He's inside the boat with the disciples when the storm comes upon them. He's not hearing about this third hand. He's not even walking on the water like our passage we read earlier. He's in the boat with his disciples when the storm comes upon them. And according to what Jesus told his disciples when he ascended back to heaven, if you remember that, and confirmed it in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, he told them that the Holy Spirit will be with them wherever they go. The Holy Spirit will reside within their souls, our souls. The Holy Spirit lives within us. See, when Jesus was going back to heaven and was ascending back to heaven, his disciples were depressed, rightly so, because Jesus was leaving them. And they were terrified, going, man, we can't live this life without you, Jesus. You can't leave. But Jesus told them that they were actually going to upgrade because they would never, ever be alone again. Wherever they went, Jesus would be with them. Wherever Jesus led them, he would go with them and before them. Isn't that amazing? We're never alone. Never alone in the Christian life. And that's principle number one. And that's a powerful principle. Amen. Number two, principle. <coughs> if Jesus commands us to do something, which he did in this passage, we can expect to find his grace there. If Jesus commands us to do something, we can expect to find his grace to be there. This Wednesday, we're going to speak about what, the, what grace is. We're going to talk about grace on Wednesday, not this grace in the back. We're going to speak about the term grace and what grace means this coming Wednesday. So if you want to hear about that, please come Wednesday at 6 o'clock. See, but the disciples were about to encounter a very big storm. A very big storm. But the storm was not a consequence of a bad decision they made. Okay? The storm was not a consequence of sinful choices. The storm only came upon the disciples because they obeyed what Jesus told them to do. Get into the boat and sail to the other side of the sea. And we can take stock of the fact that when Jesus commands us to do something, which he often does, he will make sure that whatever we face along that journey, we will have the help from heaven that we need to accomplish his will and be protected against anything harmful. We talked about a couple weeks ago how Jesus is our true sustenance. Remember that? Jesus is our true sustenance, our daily bread, our bread of life. Therefore, we do not need to fear obeying Jesus because there's nothing to fear. He goes with us and he gives us everything we need to accomplish it. And I would say this, on the contrary, the only thing we should fear is disobeying Jesus. Because as frightening as the storm is going to be that the disciples are about to face, at least Jesus was with them, correct? As we just stated, when we choose to disobey Jesus and to sin, the Holy Spirit's presence temporarily leaves us. Because God does not fellowship with darkness, does he? When we choose to sin, the ministry of the Holy Spirit leaves. Because 1 John 1, 6 says, God does not fellowship with darkness. When we disobey God, we go alone 
without God. Think about that. And we're trifling against God's punishment. But when we obey, the Lord Jesus goes with us and before us. And whatever we face along that journey, we have the presence of the Almighty God in our corner. And that is supposed to bring you a tremendous amount of source. Excuse me, a tremendous amount of peace and security that Jesus goes with you and before you. Let's look at detail number two from the story, okay? As soon as the disciples began sailing to the other side of the sea, <laughs> my dad already brought it up, Jesus takes a nap. Jesus falls asleep, which again is another important detail, not necessarily because naps are doctrinal. Well, maybe. We'll try our best. But it's important to the story that Jesus falls asleep. It is. And our third principle that we discover here is that Jesus is so in control of everything that he can sleep through a hurricane. Think about that. He's so in control, so at peace, maybe so tired as well, um, that he can sleep through a hurricane. Now, it's likely that our Lord was an opportune sleeper. Anybody else? You sleep when you can. A lot of parents will try that one. You sleep whenever you possibly can, no matter where it is. See, it's doubtful that Jesus got the typical eight-hour beauty sleep because of his busy ministry schedule. So he probably chose to sleep when it was most opportune, when it was, when it was uh, least needed, when Jesus was least needed. So what better time to catch up on some rest than when the disciples are sailing their boat to the other side of the sea? These guys are fishermen, probably quite competent sailors. Jesus, in a sense, at this moment, wasn't needed. So Jesus was sleeping. But I believe it's obvious that Jesus knows about the coming storm based on what I know about my Lord and Savior. He knew about the coming storm. He was ready for it. And the other, th other reason I believe Jesus chose to sleep at this time is because he was at peace. Knowing that the storm had zero authority over him and his disciples. Jesus was at peace. It's also possible that Jesus sleeping was going to provide Jesus with a perfect test for his disciples to see where their current level of faith was. Jesus was asleep. In a sense, the disciples had to deal with things on their own. Now that's detail number two. Let's look at detail number three, okay? The storm <coughs> is intense. The storm is terrifying. Anyone ever been in a really bad storm? Really bad, like intense, terrifying Almost hurricane. Anyone been in a hurricane or near a hurricane? You guys actually have? Tornado? Anyone been near a tornado or in a tornado? Yeah, that's a big storm. Well, this storm is kind of on that level. The disciples are facing a really intense and terrifying storm. And principle number four is that the storms of life test our faith to see if we truly believe who Jesus is. Now, we're talking about a literal physical storm here, but I believe this storm represents something else. It represents all storms of life, all storms, all trials, all hardships, all difficult things that we face in this life. This storm is representing that. My wife and I and our family just uh, faced COVID the past couple weeks, and uh, don't worry, I got, I got two negative tests. That's why I'm here today. I don't want anybody to back away from me. I'm healthy, but... If you guys have had that, it's, it's a really big illness. I mean, it's, it's a scary one. And the storm that the disciples are facing here today represents any kind of storm that we face in this life. And storms, if you know this, can take on all shapes and sizes, can they not? And the storm, although it's literal today, you have to trust 
that no matter what storm you're facing, the Lord is going to take care of you, don't you? Anyone ever been in a really big storm of life? Really big, really scary storm of life. I'm sure you all have. And sometimes the storm is losing a job. Sometimes it's losing a loved one. Sometimes a storm is financial hardship. Sometimes it's someone mistreating you. Sometimes a storm is something you have trouble even describing to other people because it's so complex. Isn't it true? But the Lord knows, doesn't he? The Lord knows the storm you're facing. And he allowed it to take place in your life. And it's the point, of, the point is this, that storms are numerous and varied. You will have them again and you will have them several times in your life from now on. But the storm the disciples are facing came on with very little warning. Anyone ever face something like that? All of a sudden it's there and it wasn't there the day before, kind of like a, an illness or losing your job. See, the disciples, they didn't go in prepared for the, for the storm. They didn't expect to have the storm upon them. It was a really big storm. I mean, water is coming into the boat, kind of swamping the boat. But now the storm is here and their little boat is full of water. And the storm was not fake. The storm certainly appeared to be very dangerous to frail beings like the disciples. If too much water gets into the boat, you guys help me understand this. What happens to a boat? When too much water gets into a boat, what happens? It goes down. And isn't that how storms feel when the water is coming in? We logically look at the situation and go, I'm going down. Look how much water is coming into my little boat. We look at the realness of the storms around us and the danger attached to the storm and we begin to fear for our lives it's honest and it's true because we're weak we're fragile and we're frail people and all kinds of things can harm us if we don't have a savior isn't that true everything in this life can harm you if you don't have a savior detail number four the disciples reacted to the danger they were facing what would your reaction be Okay, your little boat taking on a lot of water, a lot of water in the midst of the sea. What would you have done? Be honest. What would you have done? <coughs> Principle number five is we don't want harm to come to our bodies. And we know who to turn to for, for help in times of trouble. We pray, don't we? We pray. We call out to God. God, help me. I said that this past week. God, help me. Sustain me. Heal me. Help me, Lord. Be with my family. Now, this is a complex thing that's taking place here in the story. On one hand, the disciples should have realized that they were not in grave danger. Why is that? Because the storm had no authority over their Lord Jesus. And where is Jesus at this very moment? He's in the same boat, in the same storm, at the same time. Okay? The Lord of the universe is in the boat with them. So they shouldn't have been in grave danger. But on the other hand, when we feel danger, we feel fearful of the storm around us. And when we're fearful, isn't it true that turning to Jesus at that moment is even the right thing to do? Maybe even the best thing to do? To turn to our Savior? And I would say yes. Essentially, that's exactly what you should do. But we need to be careful here because the disciples are not totally wrong in their reaction. They're not. I don't believe. They knew Jesus could save them because he was their personal Savior, wasn't he? Where else do you turn when you're in danger? You should turn to your personal Savior. Now, waking Jesus up 
might not have been the issue here. It might not have been the issue. Waking Jesus up might have been annoying to Jesus, but I don't think it's the big issue here. <coughs> because Jesus said from his own mouth that he knows every single hair on her head, and he loves us more than many sparrows. Didn't he say that? Isn't my Lord the one who said that? I count all the hairs on your head. I love you more than many sparrows. I think waking Jesus up was the right thing to do. I really do. In fact, the other day when one of these storms was happening, I have a little two-year-old son. Who knows Marcus? Little Marcus, right? We call him Bam Bam. The kid is fearless. He's fearless. He'll do anything at any time. He's just little Bam Bam. <laughs> the other day, a storm came. And I'm going to take a drink here. A storm came and a big crack of thunder happened. And little Marcus did one of these. And he ran to me as fast as his little legs could move. And he was petrified. And what did I do? I picked my son up and I cuddled with him. And he was thankful that I was there because it gave him a sense of peace and security. That's essentially what the disciples did here in the boat. They woke Jesus up and said, Jesus, we need you. We're terrified. See, after some wrestling and meditation with this text, I don't think the problem is they woke Jesus up. I think it's with their statement. They said, Master, we are perishing. Master, we are perishing. Now, we don't know <coughs> excuse me, which disciple woke Jesus up, but who's your guess? Who's your guess? Who do you think woke Jesus up? If there was a spokesman for the disciples, who do you think it was? My guess is Peter. Peter was the spokesman often for the disciples. And the phrase, we are perishing, tells us that they were filled with doubt, right? We are perishing. They're jumping to conclusions that we are all going to die here unless Jesus does something. Perhaps Jesus does not care that the disciples are in danger. If this was not the heart of the disciples at this moment, there are other things they could have said. Let's walk through a couple, okay? If they weren't filled with doubt, <laughs> they could have said, Master, Jesus, the boat is taking on a lot of water, and you told us to sail to the other side of the sea. Please help. We're trying to accomplish your will. We need help at this moment to do such a thing. I don't think that would have been wrong at all. Number two, they could have said, Master, we need your wisdom on how to handle the storm. I don't think that would have been wrong at all. That would have been a good thing to say. They should have said, Master, we feel fearful, and we want your help to overcome our fears. Anyone ever said that to the Lord? Lord, I'm scared. Help me. I want to trust. I want to hope in you. I don't think that would have been wrong. They could have said, Master, should we stay the course or alter our direction now that the storm is here? Master, we're just confirming. Should we stay the course or not? I think all of those things would have been proper to say to the Lord. But they simply stated this, Master, Master. We're dying. We're perishing. Do you see the doubt in that statement? Do you see possibly why the Lord was hurt at that moment and revealed that the disciples had a long way to go in their faith? Let's pause now and think about this, though. How do we feel when we're in the midst of storms? How do we feel <coughs> when we're in the midst of storms? And I'm not talking about a literal storm, but those also are included. How do you feel in the midst of a storm of life? Don't you feel this way? This storm is the new normal. We heard that term a lot during 2020. This storm is the new normal. 
It'll always be here. We'll never come out of it. This is just how it's going to be for the rest of our lives. Isn't that how you feel in the midst of the storm? It's here and it's never leaving. I felt that way. Sometimes we say this, or we think this, God is angry with me and he wants me to suffer. If we were honest, God is angry with me. I must have done something really bad because God is angry with me and he wants me to suffer. How about this one? I'm all alone. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Storms have a great way of making you feel isolated, don't they? Isolated, like no one's around, no one cares, no one's around to help you. <coughs> How about this one? Maybe I'm not a Christian because God doesn't seem to love me. I'm not going to pull the room and see who thought that one, but I think I've been close to that before. See, what happens when something unconscious comes into our life, we begin to question everything we've ever known about God in a moment. Isn't that true sometimes? That's kind of what's happening to disciples. Everything they've known about Jesus, everything they've known about God, everything they've learned and Jesus has taught them in a moment of danger and hardship and difficulty and discomfort, they're starting to throw it all out the window. Jesus, Master, we're perishing. Detail number five, Jesus awakes and rebukes the storm. And there's a sudden calm. I told someone earlier this, today that around Thursday, uh, I turned a corner in the illness and I started to feel worlds better. And it was like the sun came out. And the rain clouds disappeared. And I just started to feel so much better. And I was like, wow, the storm is passing. Finally, Jesus awakes and rebukes the storm. And there's a sudden calm. Principle number six is this. If it was in question up until this point, the debate is now settled. Jesus has full sovereignty and authority over the storms of life. The winds and the raging waves bowed to King Jesus that day in a moment. Now the disciples might have feared the storm, but the storm feared Jesus. Isn't that amazing? The storm feared Jesus. Sometimes when I rebuke my children, all parents will know this, and you use that tone. You know that tone I'm talking about? That one tone you use to get their attention, and they're doing something they shouldn't do, and you use that firm tone, and immediately your children start to act better. You know? And you know the tone. Um, this is kind of the tone I, I picture with Jesus over the storm at this moment. Because the waves and the wind stop immediately. And there's this like eerie calm all of a sudden. Now perhaps, maybe, it's conjecture, but maybe Jesus started the storm even while he was asleep. Maybe he did. Or perhaps maybe the winds and the waves were acting independently based on the laws of physics that Jesus gave them. That's also possible. But either way, the storm was not going to harm Jesus, and it was not going to harm his disciples that day. And the storms of life never enter our lives to harm us. Do you know that? <coughs> on the contrary, I will say it this way, the storms of life take orders from the one who loves us enough to die for us. And the storms of life have zero propensity to ruin God's plan for your life. Yes, the storms are uncomfortable. Every storm you'll face have, will have some level of discomfort. And the storm might be terrifying to look at. But the storm could do nothing, absolutely nothing, to the disciples. 
if Jesus was in the boat. And he was in the boat. The boat was never, ever, and I'm going to stress ever, going down with the Son of God in it, was it? Did the storm have authority over Jesus? No, we learned Jesus had authority over the storm. Now, if the disciples were on their own, doing their own thing, maybe this story is different. Maybe they are in grave danger that day. But Jesus is, Jesus is in the boat with them. And that should have brought them an enormous sense of peace and security. And we find out from Scripture as a doctrine that Jesus is in our souls today. Did you know that? Jesus resides within your soul. It says in 1 Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides within you. If Jesus is in our souls by the Holy Spirit, what can the storms do to you? They can't take down the boat that Jesus is in. And Jesus resides within your soul. On the contrary, the storms can only strengthen you and reveal to you where you need to grow. That's all they can do. Please understand this today, that whatever storm you're currently facing, and you might be, you might be facing a storm right now. And this is why you came today, because you're facing a storm and you need some help. Maybe that's why. The storm that's in your life right now can only help you. It can only strengthen you. It cannot harm your soul. It cannot. If you know Jesus, if he's in your boat with you, the storm cannot harm you. Jesus loves every single one of us to always remain in our boat. And the storms of life take their orders from Jesus. Meaning we have nothing to fear. And I know that's easier to say than to believe. But the storms take their orders from Jesus. Detail number six, Jesus used this opportunity <coughs> excuse me, as a teaching lesson for his disciples. Because that's what Jesus does. Let's use this as a teaching opportunity. Okay, you shouldn't have reacted that way, but now let's use this as positive energy. Bringing up principle number seven, when we begin to doubt, Jesus will often say to us, and he said this to me before, where's your faith, Todd? Todd, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And he's not saying this to just beat me down and rub my nose in it. He's telling me, Todd, you have work to do. You have something you need to grow in. You need to mature that small faith. See, it was early in the spiritual journey of the disciples still with Jesus. But the disciples were revealed that day. Excuse me, let me put the detail up there. Or the principle up there. <clears throat> the disciples learned something profound that day. You know what? I'm jumping ahead. Sorry, let's stay right there. <laughs> the sevens are throwing me off. It was still early in the disciples' journey with Jesus, but it revealed something that day, that their faith was immature at this moment, and they needed some help to help grow that faith. They still believed that storms could harm them. That's what they believed. And perhaps Jesus was fragile like they were. Maybe they thought that as well. The storm could kill all of them. Maybe the storm could even kill Jesus. Don't we sometimes think that way about storms? The storm was sent to kill me. That's why this storm is here. It's sent to destroy me. And even though Jesus is in the boat with me, he has no authority over something so big and scary. The storm looks bigger than Jesus in the midst of the storm, does it not? 
But let us consider, if Jesus is in the boat with us and the boat goes under, Jesus dies too. Right? If our boat goes under and Jesus is in the boat, he dies too. Let me ask you this. You only need a cursory understanding of Scripture to know this answer. Is any storm ever going to kill Jesus? Is Jesus ever going to die again? The only one that ever harmed Jesus was one that was planned by God for our redemption. According to Scripture, Jesus will never, ever die again. And he's in my boat with me. If Jesus is in the boat with us, can the boat go under? Can the boat go under? Can I die? And I don't mean physically die, okay? We're talking about something bigger and broader here. If Jesus is in my soul, can my soul be harmed? Tragically. And the answer is no, it cannot. And isn't that a wonderful doctrine? My boat might rock about. The storm might look very intense and scary. But my boat is secure based on the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and the authority. Now, if we still think like the disciples thought that day, we have a lot to learn about Jesus, his love, and his sovereignty, and the purpose of our lives, excuse me. <laughs> now, it's easy to have faith in Jesus when the waters are calm, right? When the storm is not there and the waters are calm, everybody's a Christian. Everybody's a Christian on the mountaintop. Isn't it true? When the storms are calm, there's so many Christian. But what happens when the storm comes? That's when faith matters. That's when it matters, guys. If we don't begin to learn how to handle the storms better based on previous victories and salvations that Jesus has given us, then we don't have any business being a Christian. Because the only fundamental and foundational truth that you need in order to be a Christian is this. Jesus is the Son of God. And he loved me enough to die for me. That's it. If you believe that, you're saved. Jesus is the Son of God and he loved me enough to die for me. If we believe that, Jesus is sovereign over the storms. He's sovereign over the storms. Now, thankfully, we all know the rest of the story. The disciples were going to mature, okay? This is not the end of their story. The disciples, all of them, besides Judas, of course, <coughs> were going to mature, and this was not going to characterize their lives. This pattern here, this event here, was not going to characterize their lives. But is this a pattern in our lives today still? Do we still cry out to God every time there's a discomfort and a storm and ask God to calm the waters because we don't like it and we're scared of it. And if we do, what do we sound like to the Lord when we say, Master, Lord, we're perishing. Master, Jesus, I'm dying. What do you think that sounds like to the Lord who hung on a cross to save you from your sins? What sort of faith do we have if we never mature and never are able to handle the storms of life better than we did before? See, the Lord knows our maturity is a process. But every single one of us must begin to mature by learning and acting differently than we did before if we want to prove to the Lord we actually believe in him. And if we never pass the test of trusting in him during the storms of life, how can we stand before him at judgment day and say, Lord, I believed in you? If every storm he gave us, we questioned, does he exist and do you love me? Can we actually say we believe? 
<coughs> See, I believe storms, they're a test. They're a test and they're a necessary test because storms are sent to prepare us for judgment day. God wants us ready and confident and believing on judgment day. And every storm we are given helps get us ready for that day. Therefore, storms are a gift. Because if we don't stand prepared for judgment day, we're in trouble. We need storms to strengthen our faith, right? To get us to understand where we're weak so we can grow and we can mature and we can begin believing what the Lord has taught us. Detail number seven. Our final detail. The disciples learned something profound that day. They did. Something profound was learned. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's go to our next principle. Principle number eight, our last principle. After Jesus rebuked the storm and the calmed waters returned, the disciples feared him. And they marveled at his power. And that's a principle for us. When Jesus rebukes the storms in our life and the calm waters return, we should fear him and we should marvel at his power. Now, we need to go here in our minds and experience to some degree what the disciples experienced that day. I want you to imagine a hurricane swamping your little boat with water and being terrified you're going to die. I mean, that's exactly what these guys experienced. The water's swamping their boat and they're thinking, we're going to die, we're all going to perish today. And then you wake Jesus up. And in a matter of moments, the storm is completely gone and the waters are calm. Now, there might have been a couple proper responses to Jesus at this moment, such as, number one, worship him because he is amazing. Who else could do that? Number two, praise him for his love and his protection in your life. That would be fitting. How about number three? Give him a renewed commitment to following and obeying him because obviously he is the Lord. But the disciples feared him. Why? The disciples feared Jesus that day. I want you to imagine this scenario, okay? Let's use a different kind of storm. Some of you have said you've seen tornadoes. Anyone seen one up close, a tornado up close? You have? Imagine seeing an F5 tornado up close. I believe that's the biggest tornado, okay? Up close, a few hundred feet away, right in front of you. My boys love tornadoes, don't mean The twins, they love tornadoes. For some reason, they really like tornadoes. They have tornado books and they want to watch tornadoes. I don't know what it is. <clears throat> but imagine standing before an F5 tornado and you think, I'm dead. I cannot outrun this thing. It is too big. This is the last day I'm going to spend on the earth. And then someone walks before the tornado, stands right in front of it, and commands that it stops. And the tornado immediately disappears in a moment. What would you do? What would you do at that moment? Wouldn't it be very fitting that you would direct your eyes to the one that just told the tornado to go away and begin to fear him? Because of the amount of power that he must have to do such a thing. And they said this phrase, Who is this that even the waters and the waves obey him? I do not think at this moment they realized exactly, exactly what Jesus was capable of till that moment. And I can imagine them all looking at Jesus going, and trembling a little bit, going, this is such power before us. 
See, I believe fearing the Lord, teamed with an understanding of his love towards us, is the best combination that you and I can find. Fear and love. you got to have them both. If you have one, you're out of order, you're out of balance. But if you have both, that is the best combination that you can find. Fear of the Lord and love from the Lord. See, when we fear the Lord, we don't fear anything else. If the disciples truly feared the Lord, what is water? What is a storm? What is waves? What is lightning and thunder? And the Lord has taught every one of us, I hope by now, that he alone is the only one we should fear. Haddon, isn't that your favorite verse? Where it says, Do not fear anyone who can harm the body but cannot harm the soul. He says, Rather fear him who can cast both soul and body into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And then Jesus, right after that, says, Fear not. You are valuable than many, more valuable than many sparrows. The Lord is the only one we should ever fear in this life. He's the only one we should ever fear. And every single one of us will fear him, either now or on the other side. But I don't believe constant trembling before the Lord is the point. I don't think that's the point. I don't think Jesus just wants us constantly trembling about how, how powerful he is all the time because he's also the one who loves us more than anyone else in our lives combined. He's the one who hung on a cross for your sins and for mine. The same person. Jesus has proven his love for us over and over and over. And if the Almighty God wanted to harm you, are you alive today? Are you alive today if the Lord, the Almighty God, wanted your harm? Absolutely not. You'd all be in hell right now. But God does not desire our harm whatsoever. On the contrary, he wants us to be at peace in our relationship with him because of the fact that he made an eternal covenant with us. And he promised us that he will never leave us nor forsake us. The one who can utterly destroy our soul forever wants to be our father, our loving father. The Lord Jesus wants to be our bridegroom and to love us forever. The same person that can crush my soul to dust wants to love me forever. Yes, he demands our commitment, he commands our trust, and he commands our obedience, and he deserves it. And fearing the Lord Jesus, I believe, is the best tool we were ever given to remain doing his will in our lives. Fear equals wisdom. The fear of the Lord, <coughs> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What's the point of this today? What's the point? I believe there's four things we need to learn from this, okay? <coughs> Number one, storms will come in all shapes and sizes, and they're for our good. Now, we might not see them coming, and they might be more terrifying to look at than we imagined. But the storms have no way to harm you, no way to harm me. They are sent to strengthen us and to test us, to reveal to us where we need to grow. Storms are a gift from God if we will see them properly. Storms will come in all shapes and sizes, and they're for our good. Number two, Jesus' commandments are the best and only safe pathway in this life. Did you know that? 
His commandments are the only and safe, excuse me, the best and only safe pathway in this life. If we go with Jesus, he will be with us every step of the journey. Jesus will be in the boat with us every part of the journey if we go his way. And if we don't go his way, we'll be on our own. Based on that simple fact alone, which way do you want to go? With Jesus or without Jesus? I will take the Lord with me every single time. Therefore, I need to obey what he said. And the storm came upon the disciples because they obeyed him. And Jesus said, I will be with you. Everything you face, I will face as well. Number three, Jesus is in the boat with us. Boy, this encourages me. He has invested in our souls to the degree that he has taken up residence in our hearts. This means that no matter the size, shape, or intensity of the storm, the storm can never take down the boat that Jesus is in. No matter the size, no matter the shape, no matter how scary it looks, if Jesus is in the boat, the boat cannot go down. Nothing can harm us except the one in the boat. And he's the one that loves us more than we could possibly fathom. That's a wild truth, guys. Life-changing truth. Number four. Jesus, the Lord, is to be feared and nobody and nothing else. Now, everything that seems scary in this life is under the supreme... <coughs> everything that seems scary in this life is under the supreme, sovereign control of the Lord Jesus. If it comes into our life... It's there for our good. Therefore, if we fear, fear only him. Fear only the truly powerful and scary one, which is the Lord himself. And never, ever, ever leave his side. Because there's only two teams you can be on in this life and in the next life. With Jesus or against Jesus. Did you know that? There's two teams, with Jesus or against Jesus. In Revelation, there's a group of people. This was a life-changing truth as well. When I learned it, boy, it changed my life. In Revelation, there's a group of people, and they're standing before the Lamb, the Son of God, and they're in their sins. They're without his payment, without his redemption, and they're so terrified, they're asking the mountains to fall on top of them and to hide them from the wrath of the Lamb. And the mountains run away from them. Guys, there's only two teams, with Jesus or against Jesus. The one who can command the storm to stop can be your Savior and your God and your friend and your bridegroom. Or he could be your enemy. What's your choice? <coughs> the disciples should have conquered the storm that day, right? They should have let their knowledge of who God was and their love, the love of God in their lives, take over their minds and their hearts. But they let fear and the lack of faith overwhelm them. Overwhelmed their understanding of the Lord and his love for them. They were overwhelmed by the size and the scary nature of the storm. But the disciples eventually matured, did they not? They eventually began conquering storms. 
And whatever storms you're currently facing, please write these down, okay? Turn your page over and write these down before we're closed today. Whatever storms you're currently facing, because I'm guessing in this room, someone is facing a storm right now, okay? If you're facing a storm, here's five things I want you to do or remember. Number one, Jesus knows about it. He knows about the storm. He's not ignorant. He's not unaware. He knows the storm you're currently facing. Number two, he allowed it for your good. It's for your good, and he allowed it. <laughs> Number three, he's in the boat with you. He's in the boat with you. If you have faith in him, he's in the boat with you. <laughs> Number four, the storm fears Jesus. The storm fears Jesus. My little girls are terrified of insects. Little ants will send my little girls flying across the room. And I sat down with them and I said, listen, Adelaide and Evangeline, I said, they're scared of you. I said, the, the fact that you ran away from me, you stopped five or ten ants while you did that. I said, the ants are scared of you. The storms that you're currently facing are terrified of the one who loves you. Terrified. They'll obey his every word. And number five, Jesus wants to be glorified by your faith and obedience in the midst of the storm. Not once the waters come back to calm, okay? That's, that's when everybody obeys and loves the Lord. Jesus wants to be glorified in the midst of it. Right in the midst of the storm because that's when he knows they believe who I am. They believe what I've said and they love me. Jesus knows about it. Jesus allowed it for your good. Jesus is in the boat with you. The storm fears Jesus. And Jesus wants to be glorified by your faith and obedience in the midst of the storm. <coughs> Let me say this as we close. Jesus is worthy of our faithful trust and obedience. Is he not? Let us all grow in our love for the Lord. And let's begin today conquering storms. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, I'm so thankful for this text. I hope that based on everything we've said today, Father, we've either learned something brand new or we've been reminded of how great you are, how loving you are. Father, how we have nothing, nothing, nothing to fear in this life. Help us remember by looking at you, putting our eyes upon you, gazing at you like Peter should have done when he was walking on the water. Remember who he's walking to. Remember who's in charge. Remember who's sovereign. Remember who loves me. Not the size of the storm. Father, help those who are hurting right now and suffering in some way to look to Jesus. And if there's someone here who doesn't know Jesus and he isn't their personal Savior, that today would be the day that they would look to him and say, I believe, and I begin to follow you. I thank you for this passage today. Bless us as we leave. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.